I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Ooh. Uh, so, yeah, we've done a few of these Cinderella adaptations so far. We've done the original Disney animated adaptation. We've done the uh, last year's uh, Sneakerella. And uh, now we're doing another one. We're doing the Fox film Ever After a Cinderella Story with Drew Barrymore and Angelica Houston. One of that one of other studios attempts to deconstruct the classic fairy tale. And, you know, it's before Disney decided to do it themselves. Every other studio was like, you know, let's 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 stick it to Disney and take one of their stories and just. Just do something else with it. Yeah, this was. You know, we've we've already done a couple of films from the mid to late 90s where they started doing feminist deconstructions of kind of other uh, traditional stories. Like we did 10 Things I Hate About You, which was kind of feminist deconstruction of a rather problematic Shakespeare play. <laughs> and... We've already talked about when Disney started to, you know, go into deconstructing their own stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, orig the original Enchanted. Yeah, but this was when Disney was still rather uptight about their fairy tales and their brand and and all, and so... Before the merger, uh, other studios, especially Fox, were like, hey, let's take the piss out of Disney and take the stuff they're known for and remix it and try to make it modern and edgy. So there were a lot of these, and Ever After is probably the best known of them. It would be a few years until we would get Shrek to really drive it in there, but uh, yeah. And I see this movie, and like, I'm going to be honest, I have not seen the Disney live-action remake of Cinderella, but from the clips and the trailers that I've seen, it tries to be this. But still, we're Disney. We gotta have all the Disney songs, and we have all the Disney costumes, and we still you, we still have to let our audience know that this is still a Disney movie. While this is while this is saying, yeah, we're we are not the Disney version. In fact, we are going to laugh at the concept of fairy godmothers and pumpkins that turn into carriages. Yeah, interestingly enough, if you want to talk about musicals this movie was turned into a musical back in 2015 i have not seen it apparently the most recent uh production was in atlanta in 2019 
I don't know if you ever got a chance to see that since that's uh, around your neck of the woods. Yeah, I I was not able to see it, and in fact, I've I've not even seen clips or heard any of the songs from it. Um, but it's it's interesting that they did uh, do that, and they did it before the um, the merger. Which is sad because that means now Disney has control over this as a musical, which probably means it'll never see the light of day again. Yeah. This this is an interesting one because I, I think we we've kind of established my rather dislike for rom coms and stuff like that. Um not so much that this is a a comedic movie as much as just kind of a straight up romance. It has a lot of the tropes of the romantic comedy. Yeah, I mean, there are funny parts in it and I do like them, but this is kind of just a more like a period romance and It's Princess Bride played straight. Yeah. Um but this was one that I kind of really wanted to to go over because I I actually do have a lot of fun memories of this movie and I wanted to see if it held up because I had not seen it in quite a long time. The only thing I remember of this movie is the one clip of Drew Barrymore in the dress with the wing saying just breathe. That yeah, that was that was a really uh that was a really big uh part of the trailer and it also became a meme and a gift for a while. And this was that Drew Barrymore's kind of re-renaissance after her being a, a child actor. That that time where she was just in everything. Yeah, she had that that moment in the late 90s, early 2000s where she was in absolutely every movie that you went to see. A lot of rom-com, so th th this does fit her. It was an interesting bit because this had a lot of actors that I had kind of forgotten were in it because this was maybe the first time I had seen them. Like, Melanie Linsky, this may have exactly. been the first thing that I had seen her in, and now she's kind of everywhere. And um, it also has um, Toby Jones in it before I think any of us really knew who Toby Jones was. Mm -hmm. And now he's like all over the MCU and he's like in every other thing you watch nowadays, you know. It was kind of interesting to see him as the like wormy guy that was working with Angelica Houston. Um, and then, of course, Richard O'Brien, the, yeah, the, the, the creator, creator of, of Rocky, Rocky Horror, Horror um, is in here as well. Um, I think the most interesting thing is that the guy who plays the love interest, Dugray Scott, is... 
this was the point in time where he was set up to be like, oh my goodness, he's going to be the next big thing. He's in everything. And then he just kind of was not, like, he's still a working actor. He's still doing stuff. They set him up to be the it guy and it didn't happen. Yeah, but the most interesting thing is, is that he got a part in one of the Mission Impossible movies around this time. And he was filming that, and the filming for that went over schedule. And um, he also apparently was in a stunt that went wrong. And he was injured and had to take some time off. And due to those two things... He was not able to start filming on the next big thing he was scheduled for, which was he was supposed to be Wolverine in the X-Men movie, the wow. 2000 X-Men movie. And Maybe. so that went to a guy nobody had ever heard of called Hugh Jackman. This musical theater kid named Hugh Jackman? Yeah, from Australia and like... Yeah. So he was supposed to do that. And also, he was supposed to replace Pierce Brosnan after Pierce Brosnan left the role of James Bond. Honestly, I can see, I mean, I, I, a picture of him out, outside of this movie, and I can see both of those roles in, in, this, in this guy. Yeah. But um, I, I don't really know what happened that he didn't end up being Bond and them going with Daniel Craig in, instead. But um, apparently he was like one of, if not the main front runner, and then something happened and we got Daniel Craig. But, yeah, I don't know what happened to kind of derail his It Boy status, but he went from being the I am Drew Barrymore's Prince Charming to I am the, like, second-tier villain in films to this day. Which is really super fascinating to me. Mm. And I'm not sure kind of what happened there. I mean, acting is such a weird profession, okay? Mm -hmm. But, yeah. That's, that's kind of... If you look at his... His IMDB, there's a moment where he's like the love interest and then all of a sudden he's like second banana villain and i do not exactly know what happened in his career to cause that but i do feel kind of bad for him because he's a pretty good prince charming in this yeah so i don't i don't know what happened 
Um, I will say that I'm kind of glad he wasn't Wolverine because I don't think anybody could have done that better than Hugh Jackman. Him with Ryan Reynolds doing Deadpool 3. Oh, yeah. We've we've got, you know, this this really interesting awesome cast, especially the duo of Drew Barrymore and Angelica Houston playing off of each other. Angelica Houston, who I I will never forget is her in The Witches. So she's already perfect villain in my mind. And her as the wicked stepmother, perfect casting. Yeah, and I like the way that they play the wicked stepmother in this because the wicked stepmother is very believable. She is nobility who has kind of oddly married down, and we're not sure why she married down. We know that she's a a widow who has a title of her own and two daughters, and she marries uh, Drew Barrymore's uh, father and ends up on this country estate that is obviously beneath her. You know, Angelica Houston is playing a baroness. She has a title of her own. The father of Drew Barrymore's character, Danielle, the the Cinderella of our story, is never listed as titled. And neither was her mother. So we don't know how the father ended up marrying a baroness. And it's even put up in the air whether the two were actually in love or not. Well, yeah, because at one point, Danielle asked the Baroness, did you love my father? And the Baroness said, well, we didn't know each other for that long. So there is some sort of arrangement between them that we never get to see. And the father dies so quickly after the marriage. We never understand why these two got married. And Danielle is constantly referred to as a commoner. Yeah, and her her parents are never said to be titled, so that is that seems to be true. She gives at one point she calls her her mother a comtess, and then they say like, "Oh, how horrible of you." calling your mother a comtess. She wasn't a comtess. So it seems that that is true, that her mother was a commoner and her father was a commoner. He might have been a commoner with money because he's got land to work. He's got servants. It's a farm. They that, That's how he makes his money. He sells his food that he grows on the farm. Yeah, it seems he may be like the growing landed middle class in France at the time. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make him nobility. And he might have been, you know, the Baroness seems very bad with money as we see throughout the movie because she immediately runs the farm into the ground. She's selling off all of their possessions to get money to, 
she's constantly docking the pay of the workers like oh things have gone missing i'm taking it out of your pay when she's the one that's been selling it you know she's Mm -hmm. selling servants to pay her debts off to the americas you know Mm. um so it's obvious that she's bad with money it is possible that the father was trying to get access to her noble rank and court so that he could move up in rank and she was trying to get access to his wealth because she had spent whatever stipend she had had from her previous husband yeah we learned nothing about the baroness's previous husband so it's possible it's a similar situation whatever money he left them she went through it like water and now she needs a new meal ticket yeah you know it's obvious that she was married to a baron because she would not have probably gotten that title on her own um and in france she probably would not have inherited that title so she's probably the widow of a baron and that's how she still has that title and that's how her children are considered nobility because they're daughters of a baron Mm -hmm. um and all but she needed money and that's probably what danielle's father had when they married um because Danielle seemed to be living in relative comfort at the beginning of the movie. And then we see as the Baroness takes over, the estate has fallen into relative squalor. And Danielle has been forced to become a servant because she is the commoner in the house. Mm-hmm. Um. It's Cinderella. We don't need to tell you the beat for beat about that. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody knows the basic story of Cinderella, but I like that this is more... Grounded? Realistic, yeah. And I think... And that's kind of the point of this. This is to tell the, quote, true story of Cinderella without the supernatural elements, whether it be a fairy godmother or a mother's ghost or whatever version of Cinderella you subscribe to. It does start with a framing device. Um, it does start with an old woman speaking to the Brothers Grimm about how they have gotten the story slightly wrong. And they tell the old woman, like, well, there's so many versions of the story. And she says, like, well, no, here's the actual version. I have the real glass slipper. And she tells the you know like it was actually my great-grandmother and here's the real story uh which i think is a good framing device Mm -hmm. and so i i do like the fact that they're kind of being like this is based on a real world story and then people have jazzed it up with fairy godmothers and magic and you know whatever else Talking mice, thanks to Walt Disney. (laughs) Yeah, talking mice and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when we talked about Cinderella before, we talked about how 
the Cinderella story is one of the oldest folk tales throughout multiple cultures. The idea of the commoner that becomes nobility. Mm -hmm. So this is set in a very realistic kind of setting in the you know kind of 1500s i think it's supposed to be yeah um but we've got you know leonardo da vinci in here we've got king francis (laughs) yeah we've got king francis we've got king henry who was our prince charming (laughs) yeah but we've got the um they keep talking about um Cartier, who was exploring at the time, and uh, people being sent over to America, um, you know, over to the French colonies there. Um, and we eventually get uh, some shout outs to the French Revolution uh, towards the end. And the interesting thing is that the portrait that they use for Da Vinci that they say is supposed to be of Drew Barrymore um, is actually a a real Da Vinci portrait, but I don't think we know who the actual um, woman in the portrait is. So they just say like, "Oh, it's it's Drew Barrymore." <laughs> they make a note of it at the end of the movie when he when Da Vinci is painting it. Say, "Oh, you say it's it's my it's my wife, but it looks nothing like her." Yeah, and they make a bunch of allusions to literature of the time. Like Danielle is very into uh, Utopia by Thomas More. The final thing her father gave her before she died. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting the way they weave this story that is fiction, of course, in with real world happenings, which is one of the things I've always kind of liked about the the film. Yeah. And uh, another twist that this one does, we don't have we don't have two evil stepsisters. We have one evil stepsister and a nice stepsister. Melanie Linsky plays the nice stepsister who is just as much verbally abused by her stepmother, uh, by her mother. Throughout the movie, they kind of make fun of her weight, even though she's not fat. But it's. Uh-huh. Yeah, like she talks about how her dress doesn't fit right, and you're only here for the food kind of deal. Well, the thing is, is that we have the favored daughter and the less favored daughter. The heir and despair. Yeah, and she has the the daughter who's considered the pretty one and the 
ambitious one and the you know the one who's more like her you know the the daughter who follows in angelica houston's footsteps you know and then you have the melanie linsky daughter who realizes very early on that if something happens and Drew Barrymore isn't there for you to crap on, you're going to make me into her. Like if, if the Cinderella character disappears, I'm going to become the new Cinderella. You're going to make me the servant. And we get a, we get a piece of that when, when Danielle, after spending a a night with, with the Prince, she's, unable to do her morning chores because she's been out all night and it's, she's hung over yeah <laughs> so it's like melanie linsky is like you know uh the baroness tells the melanie uh jacqueline that's her name tells her to start cook boiling water and start for lack of a better term doing danielle's chores for her because you know cinderella can't do it you're the new cinderella and immediately she's like, oh, I saw this coming, you know. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's not the first time that we've had a Cinderella adaptation where our Cinderella and the prince meet very early in the story. Uh, the Rodgers and Hammerstein version, obviously, which came out many, many years before this one. And, you know, there have been others just to have a... a, a a bond between the two characters before oh with the instead of oh they just meet at the ball and they fall in love instantly. And it's yeah, a pr- I, it's a pr- I like the I like the meet cute in this one because the prince is running away from an arranged marriage, and he needs a horse and he steals uh, Danielle's father's horse and she's. You know, he's he's covered up so she doesn't recognize him as the prince. And she immediately sees him stealing her father's horse. And she's like, nope, nope, thief. And she starts throwing apples at him and immediately, like, beans him in the head. <laughs> and she's throwing apples, like, between the horse's legs so she can get his leg. Like, the girl has the most incredible aim ever and it's explained this is actually explained in the movie she is the only daughter raised solely by a man even in the beginning when they're introduced to the baroness she is sort of a tomboy her best friend even makes a statement you look like a girl well i am a girl but you never dress like one and she she says Later on, when they meet the group of Romani and they're, you know, in the middle of their kind of back and forth, and she's like, my father was an expert swordsman and he taught me everything he knew. And so you know that, like, she grew up, at least until her father died, being taught how to defend herself and how to do... And we've already seen her use... Um, quite a a bit of that, and we see her use it later in the movie with Richard O'Brien. Um, so we know she's not just like Luffing, talking yeah. a big game. This is one of those movies that 
a lot of people, yourself included, you know, who's going to have these great childhood memories of these of this movie. But if this if this movie came out, nothing changed. This came out today. Oh, you know the hate this movie would get. Oh yeah, all the incels would be like, yeah, this is Cinderella girl, she can throw an apple and hold a sword and me, 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 you know. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> I, I And I do like that they make the Cinderella a little bit more self-reliant. It's not just crying in a bed by the cinders or whatever, wishing that she could have this freedom and wishing for a fairy godmother. She's doing this stuff herself. Which it, my my favorite my favorite moment in the movie is when she's making the deal with the Romani and the the guy in charge is like we will let you take anything you can carry and she just grabs the prince and starts carrying him out of there <laughs> and all of the Romani yeah all of the yeah she just fireman carries him out of there. And all of the Romani, like, start laughing, and the guy goes, like, you know what? Screw it. Come back. I'll give you a horse. I'll give you whatever you want. I'll you want you your dress stuff back. back. You're <laughs> fine. You're, like, you're great. You're one of us. Come drink all night with us. <laughs> like, you, you are honorary Romani now. That was, like, the most awesome con I have ever seen. <laughs> Come back. Is, like, again, considering this is something that is telegraphed early in the movie because she is lifting all these heavy things because she is the servant girl and expected to do most of the work in in, uh, in the field so like of course she would have this dream you know how much stuff you have to carry in her bag just to get just to plant all, all this stuff well we see her constantly carrying like huge loads of logs for the fire and stuff like they show her throughout the entire first chunk of the movie just like carrying massive loads of stuff all around the house. I understand it's it's Drew Barrymore, but I, I she should be jacked, honestly. Yeah, maybe, but also remember she's like for most of the movie you don't really see her arms or anything because of she's wearing a chemise with long sleeves and stuff, yeah. so but still, I mean it was a boss move. Her carrying the prince on her back. Yeah, it's it's possibly my favorite moment in the entire movie. And this is like you know it's uh, and this is after the Romanis have had you know she she's climbing so she has to take her dress off to do the, to climb to find out where they're at and then the Romani take her her dress so she's like she can take her dress or she can take her man she chose her man. <laughs> well, I don't know why she didn't like grab her dress. And throw it over her shoulder and then pick up the prince. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, that, that dress will weigh like two pounds maybe, but I don't think that's gonna break her. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've I've got I've got some medieval dresses that weigh a bunch, but you know, still I don't think they weigh enough any of those dresses that if I'm already picking up a dude, the dress is going to be the thing that makes me fall over. Also, uh, the references to Da Vinci's other, like, his inventions, like, his kite and his water shoes. I mean, yeah, the, the water shoes is my second favorite scene. <laughs> 
because he's just literally walking on water and there's Drew Barrymore swimming. He says, oh, you know, nice day, is it? Nice day, isn't it? And he she's so freaked out, she knocks him over and... Yeah, it looks like it's gonna rain. Ah! ah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot of funny moments in this movie. Like you said, the the original meet cute between the two and they have this conversation is like, 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 uh, you know, I'm sorry, sir, I did not see you. And he's r- rubbing the lump on his head. Like, your actions will prove otherwise. <laughs> so, like, it's not, it's not like this is not, it doesn't have comedy in it, but, you know. The whole point is here is in the, of, of this story, or this, this version of Cinderella, is that it's sort of a, oh, well, uh, Danielle pretends to be a noble woman. In an attempt to get uh, one of the, as we, as Kiki mentioned, the Baroness is selling off her servants to pay off the debts because she's terrible with money. One of those servants is the husband of one of the other servants. So she's been trying to get the Baroness to pay off the debt so she can get the husband back so they can be reunited. She's saying, yeah, that's not going to happen. During their meet-cute, the prince in an, in an effort to say, you know what, you never saw me, this moment never happened, to forget his embarrassment, gives her, like, an entire bag of gold. So she says, well, I'm going to use this gold to pay off the debt to get your husband back. Uh, Angelica Houston, the Baroness, says, no way, we're, 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 that is not going to happen. She ends up dressing like a noblewoman, pretending to be a noblewoman, in an attempt to buy the freedom of this this man. She does this great speech about freedom and it's how it's wrong to sell into slavery. And it's a nice speech. I'm not going to I'm not doing it justice. But as this is happening, the prince is overhearing this conversation and. She's begging the prince, you know, he's he even saying, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much, you know, you can buy me if you want. But uh, this guy has been bought and paid for. He's going to the Americas to be a servant. And then she's begging the prince to kind of overturn this because, hey, he, he he's my servant and I want him back. And that starts this whole thing of her making using her mother's name, calling her a, a countess. And she's uh, that's where the, the the quote big lie of the movie starts. And she is such a con- she touches him so much with, with these words that she just he uses his power to let this guy go. Again, I am not doing this scene justice. You have to see the scene for yourself, but it's a great scene, honestly. Yeah, and this is the the part where they bond over Utopia because she actually uses some of Thomas More's uh philosophy in trying to convince the prince that he is not doing right by his people. And the prince recognizes the argument because he has also read Utopia uh, and is impressed that a noblewoman is quoting Thomas More to him. And she is impressed that the prince has read Thomas More. <laughs> and so uh, they bond over great works of literature. Yay. Um, but the thing about it is that she calls him out on his BS because she says 
you know, I take it you don't talk to many peasants. And he's like, why would I talk to the rustic people of the land, you filth and dirt? And she's like, yeah, that's that's the legs you stand on. You need to under understand the the people who are actually making your country. He is like, oh, are you calling me a snob? And she's like, well, you know, yeah, if the glass slipper fits, dude. (laughs) And instead of just being like, how dare a woman talk to me like that? He kind of goes like, oh, yeah, you're right. I am kind of a douchebag. She points out like, you saw a pretty woman in need, and so you released her servant, but did you look at all of the other slaves, basically, that you are sending off to a country that they don't want to go to? And he also takes that to heart, and he ends up releasing all of the other people that were in the cage with Daniel's friend we kind of see that, like, okay, this guy might actually be worth something. He's not just a a, a spoiled rich kid. And we begin... Yeah, and we begin to see other things. Like, she she says in her argument, you know, the prince says, like, these are just thieves. How am I supposed to have any empathy for them and she goes like well you don't educate them in any proper morality and you leave them no options basically you set them up to be thieves and then you punish them for being the thing you set them up to be is that social commentary Huh. I mean, this you see why I you see why I recommended this movie. Yeah. Um, and so because of her making that statement, the prince ends up setting up a university, a university, and educational systems and and stuff um, to help educate. The people, I mean, we don't really know the full extent of that and if it's for, like, you know, all commoners or whatever. But, you know, it's a start. Mm-hmm. We we start to see the, the cracks in the dam uh, that would lead to kind of eventually French revolutionary ideas and, and stuff like that. The the really cool thing, I think, about these interactions is that you see a different take on the Cinderella story in a way that a lot of times they don't do, which is that it's the idea of Because Danielle was born a commoner, it's not the traditional Cinderella story of, oh, she is such a good and pure soul, and therefore she deserves to become a noble. It's 
she is a good and pure soul who is working for the betterment of other people and maybe will use her position to do good. And we do see that as she rises through the ranks. You know, she she lies in order to help the the one guy. And then she sort of continues to lie a little bit so she can be around the guy she loves. But when she realizes it's making too much trouble. She's making she, too much noise. Well, yeah, she she goes to the ball in her beautiful, you know, wing outfit that Da Vinci makes her. And the thing she tries to do is to tell Henry the truth. Yeah, I, I do like that aspect of it. She doesn't go to the ball to meet the prince or go to the ball because she wants to go to a fancy party. She's going to the, pa- the ball to set the record straight, to come clean to the man she loves. But by this point, the stepmother has figured out the con because she's been talking to the queen because she's trying to get her daughter to be the new, to be the Henry's uh, betrothed because he doesn't want to betr- he doesn't want to marry the Spanish girl. And everyone's talking about this countess and the baroness is able to put one and one together and realize, "Oh yes, our cousin that is staying with us." Cousin, what cousin? The cousin you jokingly call Cinderella. And that that moment of losing all composure of of and where they all figure it out that the countess is Cinderella. And yes, in this in this story, Cinderella is a derogatory nickname that the that the Megan Dodd stepmother gives her stepsister gives her just because she saw her sleeping in the fireplace reading one night. Yeah, I mean, which is pretty pretty close to how it happens in most versions. But the the thing is, is that maybe when the person you're talking to says, hey, shut up, I need to tell you something before you say another word, maybe shut up and let that person talk. It's romantic comedy trope. I, I, I mean, the minute, even if I hadn't, even if I wasn't already familiar with the story or familiar with the tropes, it's, you know, it's, you know, that's what's going to happen, you know? Someone is trying to come clean, and then the movie villain blabs the secret. Well, no, it's not that the movie villain blabbed the secret. It's that the guy wouldn't listen. Which itself is a trope in, 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 in the romance, especially romantic comedies. It's not a trope in romantic comedies. It's a fact of life. If a woman says, shut up and listen, and a guy keeps talking, boy, is that just every single day ending in why. Well, this podcast just got weird. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, men, it's true. 
And I apologize. <laughs> the, but the thing is, is that that's, you know, and I don't know whether, whether it's just he's a guy or he's a prince. It's a situation where he's just so in, so happy that she came back that, you know, whatever it is, yes, but I want you to meet my mother. <laughs> At this point, like, I, like I've said, uh, the Baroness has figured out the thing. He She has locked Danielle in the closet. They, they bust her out. Da Vinci busts her out. And, you know, she's setting it up to get her daughter in, in, in with in with the queen. They, she's been having lunches with the queen for however long this movie's been going on. She is even the one that's told the queen and the queen tells the prince that turns out that your countess girlfriend is betrothed to another man. And that's why she was trying to talk to you earlier because she's saying that she has to leave the country because she is going to marry this other man. So he's all bummed and he's like, yeah, okay. You know, I guess, I guess, uh, Guess true love that doesn't exist after all. I guess I'm going to have to marry the Spanish girl that I don't want to marry. Okay. And he's so happy. He's so elated that she came back to him that none of that matters. No, whatever it is, yes. I just, you're here. I'm happy. Let's go to my mother and we will announce that we are going to get married. Go ahead. Uh, I, do, I do want to mention, you know, we we talked about the the wing dress. Mm-hmm. And I do want to mention the reason she's wearing the wing dress is because when Da Vinci comes to break her out, he's like, all right, you're going to the ball. And she has that wonderful line of a bird may love a fish, but where would they live? You know, there there's just too much difference. He's a prince and I am a commoner who has been forced to be a servant in my own household for the last 10 years. This is too much. And Da Vinci goes like, all right, well, I'll just have to make you a pair of wings. And you're like, oh, ha ha ha. And then she shows up in that amazing wing dress. And because it's the 90s, she's covered in glitter and rhinestones. (laughs) Yeah. And we got the pop song kind of playing as this happens as well. And it is playing up the 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 masquerade ball that this is supposed to be as everyone's in the costume. So wings make sense. Yeah, I mean it's not like she's the only one there in that. I mean the uh, Melanie Linsky is there with the the horse mask on because her mother was trying to uh, to embarrass her but she ends up meeting the love of her life because he is also dressed as a horse and they bond over the snacks table which i love something something that disney would end up stealing when we get to uh, if we ever do like the cinderella animated sequels uh disney would do that yes but uh yeah she bonds with this guy because they're both at the snack table they're both dressed as horse horses and their meat cute is both doing horse noises to each other yeah, while eating carrots and stuff. I, I mean, it's such a cute scene. But I always feel so bad for her because she's all she's doing is begging the prince to just wait five seconds so she can be like, can I just explain before you, like, make a scene here? And he's like, nope, scene. Gonna make a scene. 
And it's like, dude, just slow your roll for just a second and let the woman speak. As I said, we get our, our movie villain, the the Baroness, kind of spoiling the, spoiling everything, rips the wings off of her back, and just says, "This woman is a liar. This woman is no is no is no countess. This woman is a commoner. She is my servant. She's been my servant for the last ten years." And again, if you found watched enough of these kind of movies, you know where it goes. You we have because we need the misunderstanding to lead us into the third act. Yeah, and it's like all of this could have been avoided if you'd have just shut your mouth for just a second. But of course, we have the thing of she falls over and it loses a shoe, and you because know, Cinderella, da, yeah, Da Vinci finds it. What you what know. what I love is. Like, it's almost, in that one moment, a complete character regression for the prince. Because his look, you know, he almost reverts back to the way he was at the beginning of the movie. Because he looks at her differently. He looks dark. He starts to look down on her. You know, don't address me without my title. You're one of them. Like, everything that they went through throughout this entire movie now no longer means anything because she is a commoner. Yeah. The thing is, though, it is that we still have more movie to go. Because we, haven't had, yeah, we have another half an hour of this movie left to go. Because we get the, uh, the character we haven't really talked about yet who's kind of popped in for a very short amount of time which is of course your Richard O'Brien character Pierre Le Pew yes Pepe Le Pew is in this movie and he is full I mean granted you're having Richard O'Brien essentially playing Pepe Le Pew and he's doing a bang up job playing the most scummy Pepe Le Pew you can think of it is Warner Brothers Pepe Le Pew Times a thousand. He is every me every meme brought to life about the character because very early, very early on, he starts flirting with Danielle, implying that you know I may be a a man twice your age, but I can take care of you. After all, I'm very well endowed in in pertaining to my wealth, which like. Good acting by Drew because she's like ready to puke at that statement. Yeah, I mean, Pepe Le Pew as a as a cartoon character, as a skunk, has some charm to him. Pierre Le Pew in this movie has no charm to him. It's like, oh, what if what if that wasn't a charming cartoon skunk? What if it was just a real dude? And boy, do they nail it. It's like, ugh, this is such a scuzzy dude. Uh, as we mentioned, the Baroness has been selling all the possessions in, in the house because she's bad with money. And she's been selling them all to Monsieur Le Pieux, as he is vastly wealthy and he's giving them money. And, and of he, course, the Baroness has been pretending that it's been stolen, and she doesn't know where it's gone. So all the 
candlesticks and the tapestries and the paintings and stuff. They're disappearing, and she keeps going, someone's stealing from us. It must be one of the servants. I'm docking your pay until it's returned. So she's using it as a reason not to pay the servants. But we find out at the end of the movie she's been selling it to Le Pew the entire time. And during the right after the ball, Le Pew comes back with all of the belongings, saying, "Oh, thank you, Monsieur Le Pew, for bringing our things back." Well, no, I'm not a fiscal, I'm not a philanthropist. I'm a businessman. Uh, I I don't think you know he doesn't do charity. He's bringing this back because he got paid to do so. Well, what are they paying you with? They paid him with Danielle. So it's a trade-off. Danielle for all of the belongings that he had bought from the house. Which seems to have been the plan from the get-go. Based on how how Le Pew has been flirting with Danielle throughout most of the movie. Yep. And then, of course, we see... That when he gets Danielle back to his place, he chains her up in the house because she tried to run away. <laughs> Good for her. Compares her to a horse, he does. Like, I had a horse like you once, had a free spirit. I broke him. I'll break you. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, while she's at his place... Uh, Da Vinci shows up to Henry and he's like, uh, hey, you're an idiot. You're a big fat idiot. I don't care if you're a prince. You're an idiot. Uh, you're supposed to marry Danielle. Here's her shoe. Uh, she's at Le Pew's house. They sold her into marriage, but the marriage isn't done yet. So uh, go save her and take the shoe a, with you. Just a great, I mean, it's a great scene because he's, he's like, he is like the disappointed father in this one or disappointed uncle more or less because he has this big mo 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 moment with her you know what what the hell are you doing i am a prince i have i have responsibilities as a prince we get one swear in this movie and he makes it count yeah <laughs> you know it's like like the one swear in this movie to justify its, its rating and it's da vinci saying that you know that uh, that the prince is full of manure to keep to keep the, this podcast clean, and it's like, you know what? If you were going to have the one swear in this movie, that was the perfect place to do it. <laughs> and he even and I love his his explanation that if that's truly what you believe, if you believe that she is no worth because she is a commoner, then you don't deserve her. And I I, I just love how he just calls the prince out on his BS. You know, all of that means nothing because she's a prince. Because You don't deserve her. And I just love how he calls him out on that. Yeah. So the prince decides to go rescue Danielle. And uh, meanwhile, Danielle has uh, gotten close to Le Pew, uh, grabbed his knife and his rapier, Cut him a couple of times, threatened to cut him more if he doesn't give her the key to the uh, shackles. He does, and uh, she walks outside all free, right as Henry rides up and is like, uh, 
oh, I was I was here to rescue you. And she's like, yeah, that's not necessary. I'm kind of a badass. I don't know if you noticed that. I I do like the fact that he had this whole plan. I'm going to charge in there. I'm going to have this great epic fight scene. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be the big climate. Oh, 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 we're not doing that. Okay. <laughs> but as as we said, you know, she was trained by her father to be a, to use a sword. So I don't know. Part of me feels like she did it anyway. That's how, yes, because he's that much of a scumbag. Because we never see him for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I don't, because of what she does kind of at the end of the movie, I don't think she actually, you know, murdered him. But, uh, yeah, she she might have given him a couple of extra slices. They do a thing where they invite the, uh... Hold on, hold on. Before we get there, I want to backtrack a bit, because we finally get to the wedding scene. Because the prince had, you know, this is before all all of that happened. The prince is very mopey. He has he has resigned himself to marry the Spanish girl and and do what his father had said. And throughout the entire thing, the 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 Spanish princess is crying her eyes out very loudly, and she's trying to tell the prince that you know she's in love with another man, and that man just happens to be there. And he says, "I feel the exact same way you do," and it's let her go. And it's a much older man than she is. He's balding. But those two are in love. And it feels like we just saw the final part of a completely different movie. And I kind of want to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is kind of funny to to watch her like run off and hug him and to be like, oh, <laughs> you know. As the Spanish queen and king are livid, while the while uh, while uh, King Francis is like, oh, I thought we had problems, and it's like that's part of it. like, I, okay, I want to see their story, but their story would not be much different than the story we're already watching. <laughs> yeah, which lets him go and 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 rescue Danielle, and we just talked about that scene. So now we get to. The, the the final part of this movie. The prince invites the uh well the, the king and queen, I think, invite the uh stepmother and the the her daughters to the palace and they say, you know, dress in your finery and come all wonderfully and everything and you're gonna write you're gonna write in style yeah and the the blonde is like ah here it is i'm going to get married to the prince now and everything and really it's the queen confronting uh angelic houston to be like hey did you lie to the queen and angelica houston realizes that it's like oh because i lied about Danielle being married, you know, on a boat going to get married and all that kind of stuff. And she's like, oh, um, I was mistaken and, you know, I would do anything for my daughter. And then the blonde daughter is like, I am shocked. I didn't know any of this was going on. How dare there be gambling in this establishment, you know? (laughs) And all, and then the Melanie Linsky's like, um, 
if I can say something, they're garbage. <laughs> Are they like this at home? They're worse at home, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just like I just like Melanie Linsky being like, if I can say something, they're horrible people. I just want that on record. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, the um and then they have the thing of like, we're going to send you to America unless somebody will speak for you. And they have that wonderful moment of Angelica Houston looking around for like any friend she has at court. And of course she has no friends at court because she's awful. Then you hear Drew Barrymore's voice speak up and she's like, oh, well, I'll speak for her because after all, she is my stepmother. And then you realize that she and the prince have already been married in secret, and she is now the princess. I love this cold thing, though, because she looks at her in her eyes and says, After today, I will never think of you ever again. But from this day forward, every day, you will think of nothing but me. This is her revenge. <laughs> and she asks the queen to give her the love and the and the and the, the uh, kindness. Yeah, there we go. To the give her the kindness that she showed Danielle, which is like the most brutal thing I think I've ever heard in a movie. And now their servants working in the laundry room of the palace. Uh, the Baroness and uh, the uh, Megan Dodd's stepdaughter, the blonde one. And they're both arguing. He's like, we are nobles. We are not meant to do this. We order. We tell people to, to do things. We don't do these things at all ourselves. And the Baroness tries to say, you know, uh, you do what I say because I'm, I'm the manager. Says who? <laughs> and they're both getting on the actual manager's nerves. We just dump them into the, into the big pool of water that they're washing all the sheets in. Very funny scene. Yeah. I do like that we we get that very realistic comeuppance for the villains. Hmm. It's not overtly cruel. But it does make you feel a sense of justice. Because they are, they've been stripped of their rank. They're commoners now. Yeah. And it's not like they've been enslaved, you know? They just got told to get a job. Yeah, they, they've, they just have a job now, <laughs> you know? Like, you um, don't have your rank, you don't have your money. Go out and get a job. <laughs> we'll even give you a job. You, you don't have to go out and find one on your own. You have a job. Manual labor? No! Yeah. So, I mean, I I rather like that as a... As a comeuppance, you know? It's not evil Disney villain falling off a cliff and you never see the body kind of deal. It's, 
it, you're right. It's a more real, and it's a kinder fate than that other than they would have had regardless. Because for all of for everything that the stepmother put Danielle through, what she did was a kindness. They got to stay in France. They didn't have to be indentured servants to someone in another country. They just are regular people. Now, granted, to the stepmother and the stepsister, that is a fate worse than death. But it is a kinder fate than maybe someone else would have given them, especially the queen. Yeah. Queen could have had him executed. Yeah, because she does say, choose your words carefully, they could be your last. <laughs> yeah. And the final scene is just them playing up all of the all of the fairy tale tropes that they haven't got through yet and they're speedballing through. Like, oh, I thought you were supposed to be a charming prince. Oh, this is the part where you live happily ever after. Well, who said that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Guess. and and then we and then we go back to the framing device where the woman that's been talking reveals that she's the great great granddaughter of Drew Barrymore and the prince, and that the portrait is of Drew Barrymore, and yeah. They did alter the the photo in the, the they did alter the painting in the movie to look more like Drew Barrymore because I'm looking at a picture of the original painting and it kind of doesn't look like her so they did alter it a bit to make it look like her but movie yeah I mean there's a few characters we haven't talked about yet mostly we only mentioned them once but uh, Danielle's best friend slash boy she torments. Who's also an up and coming artist who idolizes Da Vinci? Wish we had more of him in the movie, but they and uh, I'm glad, but I don't know how much more would have gone until we get to annoying with the character. Yeah, I mean, he's just there as a friend. I think if they'd have tried to put him in there more. I think the audience at that point would have started to wonder if he's supposed to be like the love triangle or something or and they could have gone in that direction but they didn't and I'm kind of glad they didn't. He's just the best friend who's been they've known each other forever. Da Vinci even calls him out. Um, not Da Vinci, the uh, the 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 servant husband that she freed earlier. It's like you're supposed to be her best friend. She needs you. You need to help her. But uh, he he had his moments in the movie. I mean, he gets to drop a pot on Toby Jones, so you know why not? Yeah. But um. In terms of live action adaptations of Cinderella, this is probably the best one. And I'm talking and I'm saying this as someone who has not seen the live action Disney movie and who sure as hell is never going to be watching that Amazon Cinderella with freaking James Corden. I will you cannot pay me to see that. I'm not definitely not giving uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber money to see his bad Cinderella. 
<laughs> but in terms of live action adaptations of a fairy tale, it does probably the best job of subverting the tropes of fairy tales while also telling a believable story and not being too cynical, as we've seen with a lot of adaptations. Uh, as I've mentioned in the Amazon Cinderella, even the Disney version of of the li the live action version, there it it's it's just enough subversion to still be entertaining without going into snark. And I like that. Yeah. So Kiki, does ever after a Cinderella story have the magic? I think it still does. I was kind of worried. I wanted to watch this to see if my feelings for it were nostalgia or if it was a good movie. I think it still holds up. Uh, I've made my peace with it. I do think this movie has magic. It's, again, it's still, hold, it's still good. And as far as live action adaptations, subverting Hollywood, uh, subverting tropes, it's probably still the best one. All right, so let's move on to next week. We are breaking format because this is our podcast and we can do whatever we want. Uh, next week we are hand we are going to be talking about Nimona, the movie Disney didn't want that is now the most watched animated movie on Netflix. So we are going to see what Disney threw away, and then we're going to laugh at Bob Chapek for being an idiot. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is going to tie into our Owl House episode. So if you haven't heard the Owl House episode, go listen to that before you listen to next week's episode on Nimona. So yeah, come back for for for, for that. And uh, we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area. Is that uh, good or do, you, or do you want to do a third round? I think we can do, a, do, do that and you can piece it together from the two. All right, that sounds good. Let's let's stop the recording.